Welcome to the clubhouse. Get the beers in and sit yourself down. Hello everyone, uh, this is the Rugby World team. This We're doing the Rugby World podcast, but actually it's a little bit different this time. It's going to be bizarre. If you're listening, uh, we're also doing a Facebook Live. If you're watching this, we're recording a podcast for later. Wrap your heads around that whilst we get a wrap of the first round of the Six Nations. My name's Alan Dimmick. To my left is Sarah Mockford. To my right is Owen Jones, Howdy. the editor and the deputy editor of Rugby World, respectively. How are you guys? Good, yeah. I like this two birds, one stone plan. Let's hope it works. Yeah, yeah. Looking at yourself, it's always good, always good. I always say. Um, so, just jumping straight in, we're going to go through the runs one by one, starting off with Scotland v Ireland. And Owen Jones, Vern Cotter said it's the best win in his time with Scotland. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, if Vin Cotter's saying it, then you can't really argue with him if he thinks it's the best one because they've had good wins, I think, over South Korea and Australia in, in November and they've, they've, they've done well in, in, in summer tours. But, you know, the, the nitty-gritty, the Six Nations, it's an absolutely huge win against an Ireland side who's kind of been vying for kind of best side in the, in the world last year next to New Zealand. So everybody but everybody was backing uh, Ireland to, to, to win and, and win well and Scotland have, have, have only gone and done it so I'd say well done to Vern Cotter well because some people would suggest I mean by some people I mean very few people were suggesting Scotland were a bit mouthy before the game um, as Ronan O'Gara did on RTE just before kickoff. Um, yeah I think he might have lived to regret that and then yeah. someone else dug out some interview from last year where he said that women didn't under, couldn't understand the game it was too complex yeah. well, maybe I'll prove that during this uh, well, video well, he may have been tucked up but um, yeah let's bypass that, that bit of foot in mouth Sarah what, what did you make of it and just give us a bit of context if you can for how big a win you think that is for Scotland in terms of the I suppose for the landscape of the Six Nations yeah I think it's huge I mean I'd like to say that I predict this had a bet with you thanks you still owe me a pound <laughs> um, but yeah I think Scott you know when Johnny Sexton was ruled out I just thought that might have a big impact on Ireland they were just weren't there in the first half and Scotland really came at them like they really it was, Alex Dunbar try really creative I don't think they're ever going to be able to do that again they've played it now no they've, they've had their one goal it was but, quite reminiscent of New Zealand's try in the World Cup final in 2011 wasn't yeah it? and it was just you know but they played that card in that game and it paid off and I think if you go back to the autumn and they were so good against Australia and then were beaten narrowly at the end this is yeah. just going to be a huge boost for the confidence they've actually managed to close out the game a bit like we said about Ireland against New Zealand in November when they did win in Chicago that sort of boosted their confidence and now Scotland have got that same thing. The challenge now for Scotland is they've got to go to France. Can they replicate the form? Like, is there's going to be question marks about have they are they going to be so ham, like excited about this win? Can they like re-motivate themselves for France, or is the adrenaline still going to be going? See, the thing for me is actually, and I was I was at Murrayfield at the weekend, and the atmosphere I have to say was incredible. Um, I don't know, they're just. I think actually one of the things O'Gara was talking about was the sense, perhaps the sense of expectation amongst punters and pundits was probably the thing that's, that wound him up a bit. And actually, mm. there was that palpable sense of something's going to happen today. Yeah. And then it was incredible atmosphere. And I think actually it was unfair of me probably to say to you there, Sarah, what does that say for the context of the Six Nations? It's game one, you know. Yeah. But taking that, that means you can take that game in isolation. And to just have that event and say to the Scottish public, there's a match like that with a result like that, there you go. And the thing is, it wasn't just just grinding stuff out. In the first half, it did genuinely feel like, are they, are they going to get the bonus point here at some point? Because Well, in a way, if I, I'd be like a bit kicking myself. At the, yeah, at the end of the first half, they should have scored that fourth try, and that would yeah. have been... 
would have been very interesting yeah. then well, what's well actually I suppose what a lot of people were thinking certainly a few people in the press box were thinking is you don't have to get the bonus point in the first 38 minutes you could have actually they could, I did have opportunities to go for the posts at the very yeah. end of the, the first half and they threw one speculative pass too many and Zebo almost went the length of the field yeah. to score but I mean it, it was exciting and there was that first sense of oh this bonus point stuff has got people fired up <laughs> actually just before we, we get back to Scotland and Ireland OJ yeah. what have you made of so far of the, all the stuff about bonus points coming in, whether it would make a difference, obviously, didn't quite. Yeah, I mean, it just adds that, you know, the, the one uh, game where it was, you know, brought into play a bit more was the, the Wales-Ireland, sorry, Wales-Italy game, because Wales were probably expected to get a bonus point. We'll go on to that, that later. But the other games, you know, were, it wasn't, just wasn't hugely up for debate whether they get a, a bonus point and you know certainly in the in the France uh, England game there wasn't any danger of bonus points so it, it just didn't factor in the, the final game when it was seen as a as a bad thing that they'd missed missed out on it but it will it will grow people are getting their heads around it right back back to Scotland beyond um and for those of us that are just joining us we're we're talking about the first round of the Six Nations at the moment we're talking about Scotland v Ireland and and Sarah you mentioned the miss of Johnny Sexton there now we can talk a bit I suppose about Ireland's defence in that first half a lot of people suggesting and it certainly looked like that for the first 40 minutes far too narrow um, that's a defensive issue but you mentioned earlier the, the miss of Johnny Sexton who we're still yet to get an update about whether or not he'll come back in how do you think that affected things how do you think Paddy Jackson went well, I think in the second half, to be fair to Paddy Jackson, he came back into it really well and there were some really nice touches and he was probably key to them actually getting back into that game. But the thing with Sexton is, everyone says it, it's like having Joe Smith on the pitch. And when they have such like a detailed, structured way they want to play the sort of first phases, they need... They, like There's no-one better at the moment than him to dictate. And I think Conor Murray was quite quiet in that first half as well and a lot of expectation was placed on him because Johnny wasn't there. And maybe that weighed on him a bit too much, I don't know. But I think all in all, that first half, they just want to part that because that they just didn't turn up. I don't know whether they thought Scotland were going to be a lot slower in the way they attacked, but Scotland moved it wide quickly and really attacked them, and that's yeah. where they found the space. Yeah. Well, that, Stuart Hogg found it, the space. Hold on, was that deliberate that you said park that? Was that a reference <laughs> to the bus? Because well, you know. Because, because the lovely, bus lovely little segue there, Sarah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, say, we're just going to say that you know Johnny Sexton, you know he's obviously a quality game manager, uh, manager, but it's his it's his leadership qualities. You know, he, again we talked about Conor Murray being a little bit quiet. You know, Johnny Sexton, he will just shout shout at his pack, shout at everybody around him. He just organises people and allows people to kind of relax. I'm not saying Paddy Jackson didn't he had a good game I thought, but he's just got that extra. You know, he's a, a excellent you know, former Lions ten and could be uh, again this this summer. So I just yeah he is a. A, he's become a real talisman for them. I was listening to Paul O'Connell last week and he was saying that in the Ireland team there's a lot about your role and what your role is. And mm. while some players struggle to just remember what their role is, mm. Johnny Sexton remembers what every player's role is in whatever move they're planning to play. And I think that's the struggle. is like if, if Paddy Jackson or Conor Murray doesn't necessarily have that overview of yeah. the whole team, it can be a... Struggle to sort of replace him. Right, pin out. I'm throwing it in there. We've got to do it. We're going to have to do it for the rest of the season. Lions watch. Who stood out for you? I know it's far too early to speculate about who will be going on the tour to New Zealand, but I mean, we we'll be doing this all Six Nations. People put their hands up. Yeah. Game to game. Who did? Who were you? Well, I mean, this is really to totally obvious, but you know, you can't you know look past Stuart Hogg, can you? He's. I just love watching the man plays. 
He's jet healed, you know, he's got flames coming off him. Yesterday I saw in a BBC Sport video. Uh, he's just a great player to watch. You've got that huge boot on him. But in broken field out in New Zealand, I think he could absolutely tear up. And he's, play, he's hugely high on confidence. You know, I mean, for you, Sarah, who's... Yeah, I think Stuart up? Hogg at the moment, there's no fullback in Britain or Ireland that's getting above him at, at the moment. We'll see what happens at the end of the tournament. Like, at the complete opposite end of the spectrum, you've got Johnny Gray, I think. Just work rate. You know, he's not a flash, showy player, but he just gets through so much work, so many tackles. I can't remember. 28. Yeah, I mean, it's just mad. And, I mean, Richie Gray's probably, since going to France, really raised his game as well. So I think those two are definitely in the mix. Although we've all said Locks is probably the toughest selection. Yeah, Poor blow, actually, George Cruz being ruled out. He's not yeah. going to play again probably until after the Lions squad's announced. We'll see how that... Yeah. It's, it's, it's worth noting, I suppose, that a lot, of, a lot of discussion about the Lions stuff after this game has been about the Scotland players that put their hands up. Um, I've heard a few people talking about the way that Finn Russell, for example, identified the space wide out. Uh, but, you know, we're not talking as much as I'm imagining we will be in the next round about Ireland. Because... For, for all the good work that was done, and there were moments, for example, Rob Carney had a, a mixed bag of a game, you know, exciting going forward. Um, he, he obviously bought the dummy from uh, Stuart Hogg, but, you know, didn't, didn't come up too badly in that game. But also the other one is, I suppose, the, the frustrating thing for Ireland is that leaders like Jamie Heaslip and Sean O'Brien really burst the game open and had opportunities, but then later in the game cough things up. We'll expect more from them. To come later now. And I think the fact they've got Italy next is probably they might look at that as like a good game now to maybe settle things down a bit. Yeah, maybe they don't need to if Sexton's still a bit iffy. Maybe you don't need to rush him back in. Yeah. Those sort of things. Yeah, turn, turn up on time, not get lost in, in the streets of Rome. That would, that would obviously help them. Talking about turning up, France <laughs> went to England, and in that first half, did you expect that kind of performance from France? No, I probably didn't. They they showed glimpses that there were stirrings over over the channel. Um, I think it was against New Zealand, wasn't it, and Australia, in in the autumn. But you know they've been so bad for so long. I think they've you know for the last five years they finished in the bottom third of the table. Um, but yeah, I didn't I didn't expect it. But I, I I loved it. You know I grew up on the kind of rugby of your kind of Legisques and you know. Frank Manel's, Philippe Sellars. You know, right, the hold on. I'm, I'm, gonna stop I'm just going to get gonna lost in my romance. I'm going to stop you now because are we now just bafflingly f- fallen in love too much with that France of all because even Guino Vez their head coach said um, in the build up to this game that actually that's that's a, a game of a bygone era it, it is but it's it's why why they've got such an affection in the heart for most rugby fans you know if you watch Serge Banclopé but I, you know we hadn't seen him for so so long and you know to see you know, Scott Spelling had his probably his best game in uh, a French shirt, no Nakataki, Virmi Vakatawa was bringing kind of a few through. islanders. That's how you do it. <laughs> I'll tell you days. what, the Scott spending choke slamming Owen Farrell, mm-hmm. I didn't see that coming from, yeah. from anywhere. Uh, Sarah, what did you make of France? Because England flattered to deceive largely until they brought on what is, I'm imagining we're going to hear lots more of, of the term finishers uh, for England. Eddie's new buzzword. Eddie's new yeah. buzzword, finishers. But before that, I mean, you know, the Blues frightened the hell out of England. Yeah, I mean, I think. No, Owens oh, mentioned the two wingers. They were really good, spedding were on some great lines. But what about Pickamoles? I mean, for that the performance he put in to come out on the losing side, I, you know, you felt for him because he was immense and he has got this really strange way. Like sometimes he sort of stops and lets the tackler come onto him, and then he still goes again. Yeah. And it's it's really funny to watch. But he, I thought he was amazing, like a 
probably one of his best performances yeah. for France. And so. I, I did, I did say, so just mm-hmm. saw that Sean, Sean Holly, you know, I saw, saw some BBC Scrum Live, he said they were clever. I think, you know, this was clever, the side were clever. They, they, they targeted, you know, George Ford and Benioz are not big guys of 5'9", 14 stone, you know, pick them up 6'3", 18 stone. He was looking up targeting to get that get, go for it. So I thought they, they played smart as well as, as anything else. What about Louis Pickamore, by the way, Sarah? That's what I've just said. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just sort of stunned more than anything else. It's well, not, it's right. not listening to me as he, he dovetailed, didn't he, with Baptiste Serrain, you know, gave them a lovely, lovely tempo, didn't he? Who? I, did, a, I, did, I, I did a French degree as so a Baptiste Serrain. Humble brag there. Humble brag, well, fact. Just for those that are listening to the podcast, uh, don't be surprised by the way we're talking. We're on Facebook Live at the moment, and we've got some comments coming in on the Facebook Live. A lot of them are just about how Scotland have uh, stunned a lot of people. If we could get some stuff coming in about England and France and, and Wales and Italy as well, that would be fantastic. But just sticking back with England and France... Oh, and we mentioned the finishers there. I mean, obviously, this is the modern game where you need a bench. You need a strong bench as well as a strong starting 15. Yeah. But what did you make, make of the guys coming on for England? Because well, they, they changed the game, really. They all, they all made a difference. Ben Teo got his first England try. I think he'd on about 93 seconds. He punched through that midfield in a, in a way reminiscent of Manny Tuilaki. So whether the, he'll kind of force himself in. Jack now buzzed around as he did. He's, he was nice and busy. Danny Kerr gave them, gave them some zip. Uh, James Haskell, God, the, the cheer that James Haskell had was probably the, the biggest of the day. And he came on, you know, he's a, a huge man. He made, made a, a couple of kind of rumbles and knocked a few people <laughs> back a, a few yards. And we, we saw him yesterday, uh, sorry, after the game, and he kind of said he had about 20 minutes in the tank. So whether he's got enough 80 minutes for, for Wales, we, we've yet to see. But he just lifted the side. Um, I thought they, the use of the bench, and I think Eddie Jones had said they want the strongest bench in, in world rugby and I think you know he, you could argue he's, he's getting there Sarah a lot of talk as well has been about the halfbacks for some reason we're still a little bit uneasy I don't know about the idea of having two essentially halfbacks playing 10 and 12 for England and a lot of people were talking about um, when these finishers came on moving Farrell to 10 t- taking Ford out what did you make of that and what do you think that says about potentially what could happen this week against Wales I think a lot. there's been a lot said about everyone that came on I, I agree Ford and Farrell, like Farrell was probably England's best player. Ford did not have a great first half, but in the second half, when they came out, you actually you could start to see what they were trying to do. There were some like nice loops, a few switches and stuff, and that's what they needed to be doing from the off. The problem was that France was up so quickly in defence, they had little time to react, which George Ford is usually really good at, but maybe he wasn't expecting it that day. And two, um, they couldn't get anyone over the game line. They were miss- I think the biggest miss was the Vunapola brothers, who oh, yeah, just didn't give them any go forward. So then they're sort of playing behind the game line, and that's when you're under pressure and you maybe fling the wrong pass yeah. and all those sort of things. Yeah. I don't expect any change, though that 10 12 to change for Wales. I think you stick with Ford, you stick with Farrell. It's in Cardiff. You're not going to throw Benteo in when he's played, I don't know, probably 12 minutes of Test rugby altogether. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably doing him a disservice there, but I think you stick with them. Ford, you know, two years ago they went there and they won. Lots of that team know how to win in Cardiff, whatever Eddie says. So I'd be sticking with them, and I think... He wants people to throw daffodils at them. He's (laughs) saying there earlier. Well, I think they asked him as well about... You know Stuart Lancaster, when they went two years ago, played, um, like, Welsh music in training to get them used to the atmosphere. Apparently he said about how he might download some of that onto his iPhone to play at training as well. Right, we, 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 always, we all love them. I'm madly in love with them. The five things we learned 
uh, kind of pieces that we see out there. But Owen Jones, as as the resident Welshman, um, what do you think Wales can pick up from watching that game the day before they they played? I think they can pick up that. Yeah, at the moment was selection. I think Eddie Jones said that selection wasn't an issue. It was all about preparation. But I thought the scrum was a bit of a a, a mess. Yeah. I just think there were square pegs in, in round holes. I don't think Marutoji it worked for him playing at six. Again, he's a once in a generation player, a brilliant lock, and and may well you know go on to be a fine six. But just you know, the, you've got to remember he's only got about twelve caps. He's really still fairly inexperienced. Not, not, uh, not no nowhere near. In fact, twelve yeah. caps. I think it's eight now. And actually, that was his. I mean, obviously, that was his first test game mm. at six. Of course, he didn't play. In the are we going to come, we gonna come yeah. a bit of a slack, or do you, is he is he now so high up there that we're expecting? I think we're almost too much because because he's he's good at the breakdown. He gets over the ball well for 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 a big guy. I just think. You know, the press had kind of shoehorned him into it that he could do any anything. Well, it showed on Saturday that he couldn't. And you can't, you know, you can't, you know, put him down or run him down because of that. He looked, he just looked so comfortable when he went, went into the into this engine room later on. And I think, you know, Tom Wood for me is a he probably knows himself. He's not what you call a natural seven. He's again six five, fairly ranging. Again, getting over the ball for him is more typical. They'll probably move him over to six. Haskell will come uh, to seven. I think Toji should go back in, in in the engine room. And again, there are you know Dylan Hartley looked like a, a man who hadn't played for six, six eight weeks because of these discipline issues. He he was puffing, and there was a moment in the kind of second half when Virimi Vakatawa you know sped through the kind of midfield, the broken field, and he ran past Dylan Hartley looked like he was running in treacle. I mean, Jamie George has got a compelling case now, you know, for for a starting berth, and and that's you know so to go on, but. Owen Farrell, for me, he's shown leadership qualities. And the fact that George Ford was taken off late on, Owen Farrell was put into 10, it was kind of, for me, it was Eddie saying, you know, you, you carry them home, you, you take, take the boys home. So I think that, that pack is something that Wales, if it's the same selected, would, would, would relish, actually. I think the um, trouble with bringing Haskell straight back in is mm. he's, he hasn't played for ages. So I think Jones has been quoted as saying he thinks he's got 28 minutes in him. So do you bring him on from said, the start? He said on, five, on uh, five Live immediately after the game as well that if he'd been on for any longer, he reckons he would have blown a gasket. So I think that's the trouble. Like, you can just talk about yeah. all these changes. They've lost Cruz, so they don't have as many options in the second row as they did. Yeah. I didn't think Otoja was awful. I actually think Tom Wood had probably one of his worst games for England, and I think he'd probably admit that. Yeah. One penalty decision, I think, was harsh on him, but there were a few more, and I think he struggled to have the same impact that he did in November. But, again, I think it's going to be really tough for Eddie to make those changes. I think Jamie George is a great player. I'd love to see him start a test. But do you start him in a test in Wales, in that sort of environment, or do you wait a couple more weeks and do it against Italy? You can say he's great for those last 25 minutes when he comes on, but we don't know if he can be that, have that same impact from the start of a game. Yeah. You're watching us on Facebook Live. Um, we're talking about the first round of the Six Nations. Um, and brings that to and I'm going to come back to you Owen and I'm going to indulge you here for a second is because oh, very kind. Um, a lot of talk before Wales played Italy was about the captaincy going to Alan Wynne-Jones being taken off Sam Warburton there were a few naysayers coming out of the woodwork about his merits people were very excited at least to see him and Justin Tiberich playing again in the same back row what did you make of those fellas? Well I thought you know, firstly Alan Wynne-Jones he had an excellent game Wales were stru- struggled really to make their possession count in the first half. I think at one point it was 80% to 20% and they had nothing to show for it and went in at the break 7-3 down. But in those first 5-10 minutes, Alan Wynne-Jones, he was, after, this, after the break, I was absolutely everywhere. 
It was, you know, the definition of taking the game by the scruff of the neck. He was doing it, putting in tackles, ca carrying up the middle. He, I just thought he showed real leadership qualities. I'll just ask you to calm down a bit on <laughs> WG. Well, you know, but judge uh, and you know Sam Warburton again. I I think much like we've seen with Chris Robshaw, it could be the the making of him. You know, he, he played with a real relish. I think he's played seven games in a row for the Cardiff Blues. You know, so often he's come back literally after being injured and been kind of trying to play catch up. But one of the uh, uh, sort of turnover he had just before the break was absolutely supreme. But he also carried quite a bit. He was kind of the top ball carrier in the Welsh. So those two together, you know, worked really, really well. It, it didn't seem to be any disjoint in communication, you know, with the fact that Sam, for the first time in 49, you know, games, you know, subject to a, a couple of missed games, wasn't captain. I thought it worked, worked. that aspect worked you, pretty well. Well done. You were surprisingly calm talking about Justin Tiverich, who's one of your favourite Didn't mention him. Yeah, you just got me excited. Uh, but, but Sarah, you know You've Sam... got a few man crushes, yeah. haven't they? Sarah, yeah. you know Sam Warburton uh, for a lot of years... Um, Interviewed him quite a lot of times. What? How do you think that this taking the cap to often would affect him? Do you think, as Owen suggests there, that it would help um, as it did Chris Robshaw? I think the thing with captaincy these days is what it really means is you have to sit in your press conference before, like, do a media conference before the game, a media conference afterwards, and you have to you talk to the referee. But I wouldn't think that Alan Wynn really has changed, apart from that talking, those responsibilities yeah. has changed much from what he's been doing for the, the last 10 years in Wales yeah. Colours. And I would think it's the same with Sam. He's probably relieved that he doesn't have to do those press conferences every week. He can focus. He doesn't have all the questions that people always ask him about injuries and Justin do you Tibbert. want the cat? Yeah, Justin Tibbridge, <laughs> all those sort of things. And he can concentrate on playing. But if he's got something to say in a team meeting or on the pitch, he's still going to say it. But to be honest, I don't think he was ever that sort of no. Captain anyway, they, sure. he would only do it when it was really necessary. So I think, yes, we probably will see the same sort of reaction that we saw from Chris Robshaw. I think it was a great start. And uh, people have said that you, it doesn't work having the two sevens, but I actually think it worked fine. I think it was worked for them before, and I wouldn't. I think they'll probably stick with that for Saturday against England. The question okay. is, do you bring Falatel back in at eight, or do you stick with Ross Moriarty? I suppose the question really is, and... Uh, we're, we'll talk about it's, um, Italy specifics later as we start talking about the new issue Rugby World that's out. But Owen oh, Jones, how much do you think you can learn from that game against Italy? Because as much as Wales were resurgent in the second half, Italy faded away, and so we're talking about potentially just playing that back row um, against England in Cardiff. I mean, obviously it's a completely different scenario. Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, the back row is kind of less of a concern if 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 you're uh, a Welsh fan. It's you know, it's the front five. I think they were fairly uh, meh, uh, really. The kind of 50, <laughs> fifty minutes, you know, great, things, great, uh, great vocab, great great vocab, you know, down with the kids. Um, but you know, so I think so Samson Lee um, and uh, Nicky Smith, you know, they they didn't really impose themselves. And I think basically we saw an improvement with Rob Evans and Thomas Francis coming on that was a, a, a big change and it's whether they bring Luke Charters back on who's a complete pest so that front five you know in England a good have, way there yeah he's, a, he's a pest with his, inspect, with his inspector gadget arms he, he can be a menace for opposing sides so I think that front five you know being able to kind of compete with a, the English front five which is traditionally so so strong at the set pieces is a, is a big factor for them well, away from the set piece would you want Sam Davis or would you want Dan Bigger at fly half well Dan looked very in a lot of pain. He had a rib, rib injury, didn't he? So we don't know whether he'll yet be fit. Um, it's a really, really tough. Oh, so you reckon crash. that'll save some blushes? 
I'll ask the question. Yeah, you jump If in. Dan Bigger is fit, he'll start at 10 because... But is that because you want him to start at 10? Because, because if you, you think... want to be... A, if the game's not going well, you need someone to come on who can make an impact. And I don't think if you had Bigger on the bench, you'd be able to make that same impact. OK. But if Bigger isn't fit, fine. Pick Sam Davis at 10. I think he'll do a really good job and have Owen Williams on the bench. Well, job done. Job done. done. Very, very decisive. If you want a decision, you come to Mockford. Third person. Sometimes. <laughs> right, yeah, okay. Um, Sarah, I'm going to stick with you because uh, we've spoken at length about all that and obviously we, we'll get get everyone's predictions a little bit later. But um, the Women's Six Nations started and it, it was, do you think, more of the same from England, the women, from the promise that they've shown over the last... I think well? actually that's the best, one of the best games I've seen England play for the for a good while. Okay. You know, they were, they were the game England France game in November was awful. One of the worst games I've ever seen. Mm. They were brilliant against Canada, because against with the last time they played at Twickenham. But Canada were playing their third game in six seven days, so yeah. didn't really offer much. Whereas this, they were, went behind thirteen. They were like France, defending Six Nations champions, came out really attacked them, much like the men's team had. But the England women's comeback was much more convincing than the men. Like Scarrett led the way in terms of kicking and everything. Danielle Waterman scored a really lovely try, like backed herself through the gap, shrugged off a defender to score, and then they actually ended up scoring another try right at the end. So I thought it was one of the best games for England. You know, and that was with both teams, that's probably the strongest teams they've fielded since the World Cup in 2014. What an improvement from Scotland women, by the way. I've got to temper this slightly because Ireland didn't have some of their best players playing, but yeah, they were brilliant. Like Scotland in this tournament have been smash like teams would you regularly clock up like 50 point scores they were they were leading for much of the game with 15 it was 15. a similar story with the, the under 20s immediately afterwards as well I know. because a lot of people were worrying that it was an omen for the for the whole weekend actually well also because munster narrowly beat edinburgh as well yeah. as like this theme but yeah it was 15 15 going past the 80th minute Ireland pressurising the line. Jenny Murphy cut a great angles, trying to the post. And, in, you know, 22-15, Ireland got a bonus point in that game. So, you know, that's, that could pay for them dividends later yeah. in the tournament. And then the other, only other game, Wales beat Italy 28. Not I'm quite not, as close. Not quite as close. And I'm not going to try and name all the scorers because there was one, the full-back, I've no idea. I'm going to have to get some Welsh lessons from you on how to pronounce her name. <laughs> OK. Um, that's us talking about the first round of the Six Nations. Heck of a weekend to start us all off. We're going to get predictions in a bit, but Owen Jones, I'm going to come to you on this because we got the sad news that um, Just van der Vesthuizen at the age of 45 had, had lost his battle with motor neurons disease and uh, sadly passed away. Um, I suppose you had the honour, really, of speaking to him a, a few years back for, for Rugby World magazine. Just if you could give us a few of your memories of yeah. Just. I, I met him um, in London. He was over. Obviously, did a huge amount for charity. Uh, you know, had a half an hour sit down with him, and I think the first thing that is that absolutely blows you away is you know that he was a man who's kind of six one, an absolute warrior. You know, one of the kind of new breed of big big scrum halves. You know, fierce competitor, and, and obviously his physical deterioration. Yet, you know, his kind of fierce kind of will to you know, to, to keep going for his kids and his family. It was just, you know, it was just, you know, quite sad but uplifting to behold. If that Admirable. makes it, And it's, yeah, he admired really, you know, that his strength because he was no saint when he was kind of fit and well. He was a bit of a... I think that's bit why of, a lot of people loved him. Yeah, he's a, a bit of a rogue. I think he got himself in a few scrapes. Um, and, he was a, and he was a superstar of, of, of the 90s and early 2000s in, in world rugby. You know, the amount of players that have come out and said, I grew up... 
uh, idolised. You think Mike Phillips was almost kind of carbon copy of him physically. Uh, but there was one, one kind of memory I have of youth being a kind of new breed. It was 95, the Welsh tour. Uh, Garen Jenkins, who was, was a tough kind of uh, uh, from Anissa Bull in Pontypridd, for those who don't know, it's a pretty tough old place. He kind of went in to rough up Deuce van der Vest Hayes and as, as a hooker would normally rough someone up and, and came out seeing stars because Eust gave as good as he got and cracked him. So no, uh, he'd been sent off, Garen Jenkins, but came off staggering. And I thought, Christ, that is <laughs> one tough scrum half. But yeah, it just showed you that, you know, he was a tough competitor. And yeah, just so sad for his family. And, and, and you know, the, the rugby world to have lost him and Jonah within a year at 40 and 45. You know, you just you couldn't make it up. Gone too soon. Um, best wishes from all at Rugby World for his family and friends and those those who admired him for so long. Um, Sarah Mockford, we've got the new issue of Rugby World that's out at the moment. I want you to hold that up for the good people. And you tell you what, give us a pricey. Let us know a little bit of what's in it. I mean, what's not in it is probably the easier question. Well, we've but... got all the Six Nations covered. Um, you've been to Italy to see Connor and the rest of the Italy backroom team. Cracking lunch. <laughs> that's why he went... Oh, I've spoken to Eddie and Ross Moriarty. Yeah. We've got, we've highlighted... Hold on, Eddie, is he now like Madonna where you don't actually yeah, have to say his I second name? I think in name? rugby circles, yeah. Do you know any other, can you name another Eddie in rugby circles? I've got well, one in my head, but second. you two have slow, so no, yeah. Eddie O'Sullivan. Yeah, very good. Right, keep going. Sorry, um, what else have we got? We've got a preview with, well, we've talked to Amber Reid and Gemma Rowland, England and Wales players who went to school together. We've taken them back to school, Colston's, for a chat. We've got Tanner Umanga talking about super rugby. We've got Stephen Jones talking about the high tackle laws. What else have we got? We've got Na- Ben Nathan Young Nathan talking Hughes, about Nathan dummy. Hughes, one of the happiest men I've ever interviewed. There you go, you yeah. see. I spoke to Devon Turner, easily the tallest man I've ever interviewed. <laughs> Hamish Watson, the new man at number seven for Scotland. So, oh, and we've got an international referee talking about his love of musicals. Yes, yes, you do. Very good. Surprise, surprise. You know everything in this. So just get down the shops, pick up a copy. Make us happy. I don't like the fact it's reflecting like a mirror, so you can't really right. see it. But it's bright blue. It's got the trophy on it, and our art editor spent a whole day drawing this cover by hand. Right. Enough of blowing our own trumpets. I down to the nitty gritty. Weekend Six Nation action. I'm going to go game by game. Owen Jones, Italy versus Ireland. What scoreline are you predicting? We are, we are going to see a, a green lash. We are going to see Ireland <laughs> oh, winning. God. That sounds a bit oh, winning. Tenuous. <laughs> 29 11. 29 11. Oh, so yes. you're actually giving a score. Okay, Sarah so yes. Watford. Do I have to give a score as well? No, I just Can want to know on. who's going to win. I to think Ireland will win with a bonus point. Oh, bonus, first bonus point of the Six Nations. Well, not this. Oh, yeah, I suppose it could be, yeah. First try bonus point of the Six Nations. If nation. they actually do it, obviously. Yeah. And I think... But I think, it'll, I think Italy will be competitive for the first half, at least, because I think Connor will fire them up about the way they dropped off in the last Do you think play. that's going to be a theme for, for Italy? Well, I hope not, because then it's a theme that we've been talking about. That was just my foot, <laughs> Um The theme we've been talking about since they came into the Championship. And you don't want it to be that they've... They always drop off in the last 20, but I did feel on Saturday, Sunday that they did against Wales. So hopefully against... And I think that's something Connor wants to change. Okay. So hopefully we'll see them be more competitive for longer period against I mean, Ireland. it's interesting you say that. In the piece, when I went out to Italy and spoke to Connor Shea, he was very fired up about the, the state of things in Italy. And one of the things that fired him up is that he wants people to go out there and actually see the hard work that's going into it, you know, instead of just writing them off and, as he described, hiding behind your couch and just mm-hmm. writing them off. Um, and 
one of the things that I, I imagine that we could see is that return to pride, um, where I'm imagining in this game we'll see them come out the blocks firing, we'll see them at the end of the game roaring back, but I think one of the problems will probably be is that Ireland will just be so fired up after yeah. that game against Scotland. In a way, it's the worst thing that could have happened for a save for Ireland to have lost. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm predicting an Ireland win. I think they could get a bonus point as well, but I think Italy will score a few themselves to get a little bit of pride. Wales versus England, Sarah. Draw. Draw? That's a very Ireland-Dimmock answer. Um, I'm going to go for an England 10-point win. Oh, you're just saying that because you just think Wales are going to win, but you don't want to say it out loud. How do you know what I'm thinking? Are you, are you looking into the, the great mind? The great mind. I don't know, is there one in here? But allegedly. I think England will win, but I think it will be closer than 10 points. I think it will just, the whole, the whole intensity of the, the thing will be, I will probably be wrong, but it's a game on Sunday, France versus Scotland. The um, biggest game of the weekend. The biggest game of the weekend. I'm probably going to go for a France home win. I think they're due a win because they've had three clo- <laughs> three very close run lo- lo- losses and I saw enough there. I think they're just going to squeeze past Scotland by a couple of points. A couple of points. Do you right. think they'll score a bonus point? No. No. Sarah, what do you reckon? I think I'm going to back Scotland to um, make it two from two. Yeah, it's more like it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think... France. You were just saying that, aren't you? Cause you no, no, because we talk about France, and they were fired up against New Zealand, they played well in the autumn, they are fired up against England. Can they reach that same motivation to play Scotland? I don't know if they will. I don't know if they'll be as concerned, I'd so, you know, yeah. as determined to make a point. So I would say that however fired up they were in those games, they lost. Yeah. And that's the thing is, I think one of the, one of the big bits of discussion that's come up is that teams learning to win... And I think France have worked themselves into this place where they've learned to lose. And mm. Scotland, on the other hand, are learning to win. So I think, it'll, again, it should be quite close. I think officiating, I think it could come down actually to how people view the scrum because that's a hefty old pack and it's whether yeah. how many penalties are reaped from there. Because yeah, Scotland especially didn't with the look, young front row. Scotland didn't look incredible. They didn't look great at all, actually, against, against Ireland. That was certainly a place where, well, I suppose... Possession territory and in the scrum is where Ireland had the edge on Scotland of the weekend. I think that's where it could be won and lost. So I think it'll be quite close either way, five or six points either way. But I think Scotland might squeak it. There, I've got off the fence. Yeah, there we are. Done. That's very good. So, well, thank you for joining us as we jumped in the deep end of Facebook Live. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. We'll be back next week talking about the ins and outs and seeing whether we got these predictions right. Probably not. Probably not. And apart from that, enjoy the rugby, guys. It's going to be cracking. See ya. See ya.